I really had this awareness of like, crap, I am completely alone. I am, I am all by myself. There's nobody else here. And the next thought that came in was, if you're really all alone, if you're the only person in your apartment, you might have more control over this situation than you're letting yourself believe. everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I am Stephanie Zamora and today I am so excited we are here with my very dear friend, Diane Whitten. Diane is someone that I was very fortunate to meet during one of the darkest, most challenging parts of my journey and she has imparted so much kindness and wisdom over the years and I am so incredibly grateful for just her as a human, who she is as a person and you may find in this interview, you may not, we'll see where it goes, but we are very similar. We are like the same person in so many ways. So Diane, thank you so much for being here. Yes. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm so happy to be here with you. Always delighted to talk to you about anything on any day, but also super honored and delighted to be on your podcast. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I would love to start with you just sharing a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do. Cool. Uh, thank you. Well, I'm a business coach and I'm, I'm like a business coach slash, slash clarity coach. So I help people get clear on what they want and get clear on what they're committed to and try and live life in a, in a bigger way, expand their reach, let their intuition guide them so that they can be happier, more fulfilled by their work. So um, I'm a business coach, so I definitely like love funnels and money and strategy and all that stuff, but it always has to be guided by an intuitive bent, always has to be like kind of heart-centered and joy-centered. So that's my work. Yeah, absolutely. And you're so brilliant at it. You're so good at listening and hearing like in between the lines of what people are saying and what's going on deeper. And what I love and hate about Diane is that she always calls me out. Like you can't you can't share anything with Diane without her being like, wait a minute, or like, just like lasering in on the one thing that you don't want someone else to call out for you, but it's exactly what you need. So you're so brilliant at what you do. And you've been through so much to get to where you are today. And I know we're going to talk about a couple of different things that have come up in your journey, but take us back and, and I'll let you pick where you want to start, but like, who was Diane Whitten before, before everything that you went through? What was life like? What were you like? Oh, I love that question. Um, because it reminds me how far I have come. <laughs> it feels really good. Uh, so the Diane Whitten before was very much like the Diane Whitten now, very fun loving and kind of goofy and a bit of a dork and super compassionate um, but the differences were that I was super performer. I know you and I have talked about the chameleon thing. You know, I was very, very good at sort of reading the room, um, a background of lots of childhood trauma and angst and lots of things, which we may or may not get into, and I may or may not have you edit out. Um, but like, just really, I learned at a really young age to read the room and see what other people were doing and you know, constantly like taking litmus tests of how do I need to be? First of all, how can I solve your needs and make you okay and support you emotionally? But then like, what's even safe for me to experience and express in this space? And I, you know, God, I, I accomplished a lot. I, um, I accomplished a lot. I went to law school and only for two years. I didn't like it was not my thing. Um, <laughs> And I had, you know, a couple of really successful careers and I did a lot. I did a lot. I accomplished a lot, but it was always through that lens and I was miserable. I just was like dying inside. And then it all kind of, kind of crashed in, in my late thirties and early forties of like, you just can't do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us what you were doing before when everything kind of crashed in. I think, you know, I was thinking about that, you know, one of your questions for this podcast is like, when was the dark night of the soul? When was the bad moment? And, and I was, I had been online for a few years and 
um, a few things had happened. So I, I was, I, I had gotten divorced and I was running my website design company, which is how I got my start online. And a couple of things happened. So one of the first things that happened, it's so weird. I'm going to start with this. Um, Google changed their search results. So one of the things that happened was I was, if you, if you Googled website design for authors, I was number one or number two, like anywhere in the world. So I had clients globally. I had clients in Hawaii and Canada and the UK and Vietnam and Haiti. And like, I had clients from all over. And then overnight, all of that search engine traffic vanished and it was localized. And so now if you searched website design for authors in Massachusetts, I was on like page five and I was coming up. If you just searched website design for small businesses, I was coming up on the first page in Denver and people would call me and I'd be like, I don't, I don't know anything about business. Um, no, I work with writers. That's like not what I do. So it was really interesting because as having any job in tech or the internet, you know, you, you have to be able to pivot. So all of a sudden I was like, I have to go to networking networking meetings. I have to like get out there and people wanted to talk to me on the phone. <laughs> Writers like they are so introverted. Writers just want to email you and they'll email you huge long things, but, which was perfect for me. I never had to talk to another soul. And like all of a sudden I'm like, I have to like put on makeup and like be in the <laughs> world with the three dimensional people. And of course, like unbeknownst to me, that triggered all of my trauma, right? That triggered all my attachment stuff and relationship stuff. And like, it was super hard. So, but I'm doing the best I can with it and I'm getting out there, but it was such a shift. And at the same time, I had a huge community of people around me in the dance community, pole dance community. And I had a falling out with someone who I thought was like my best friend and family and lost the support of that community almost overnight. Um, As it turns out, she was really toxic. It was a good thing. As you know, we know when we heal, we we go through things and you hit that exodus where you're like, everybody in my life has to go. (laughs) Um, I was going through that, but but I didn't know enough about healing and self-discovery and I didn't have enough self-awareness to handle any of that well. So I was thrust into this huge depression. I got extremely suicidal. Um, and I, and my dark night of the soul, I remember I had this one, I had this one moment where I was sitting on my couch. I'd been on my couch for three days. I had no idea what to do. I had no one to call to help me. I was totally alone, felt completely isolated. My business is changing and kind of struggling. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do to survive and be okay. And I had this moment where I, and I lived, um, I lived in downtown Denver at that time. I lived on the 11th floor, which I love that apartment. I have always missed that apartment. It's my favorite place <laughs> ever. Lived. And I had this beautiful balcony and I just, I, I was in this horrible place and I was like, I could just end it right now. I could just run and jump off that balcony right now and just be done with this whole place. And, and I, in my, in my mind, I was like, okay, I wasn't a big spiritual person at that time. I didn't spend a lot of time praying or reaching out to anything or anyone. And in that moment, I was like, okay, if you exist, if there's a God or source or universe or whatever, if you're out there, I need some help. I need it right now. I need you to speak up and let me know that I'm going to be okay, that things are, things are working out, that, that I'm going to survive this and that things are going to get better. If you were ever going to say anything to me, I want to hear it right now. And there was complete silence. <laughs> like it almost felt like all the energy cleared out of my head. <laughs> and I, it was the funniest thing because it, it totally could have launched me into despair and hopelessness. And I could have just ended it all right in that moment. But I, I really had this awareness of like, crap, I am completely alone. I am, I am all by myself. There's nobody else here. And the next thought that came in was, if you're really all alone, if you're the only person in your apartment, you might have more control over this situation than you're letting yourself believe. (laughs) Wow. And that was the turning point. That was like, whoa, wait, wait, what? This is, this is my, I can, I can fix this. (laughs) I can do this. What? And I... 
I went and I, you know, got up and like got some food and got some water. And I was like, okay, let's, let's turn this ship around. And it definitely didn't happen that year, the next year, the next year, the next year. Definitely. I mean, it's been a journey. Um, but that was the beginning of all of it for me yeah. was that just initial recognition of accountability and freedom. That's the piece that people miss, I think, and that I missed is that when you really, the more accountability that you take, the more freedom you experience. Yeah. It's a miracle, right? Like you, all you can think of is I want to be free. I want to be free. Get me out from under this. But it's only when you like stand up and say, this is who I am, that you really experience that freedom. So that was the beginning of it for me. Yeah. I remember when you first told me that story and I, I laughed just the same because in a dark and twisty way, it's really amusing. Right? <laughs> like, like that was exactly what you needed. Like someone else might've needed some like big dramatic godly moment to like kick them into gear, but that's not what you needed. Like you needed that, <laughs> that mm-hmm. like deafening silence to be like, Oh, wait a minute like right. paradigm shift. And so I, I love that so much. And you and I have talked about this and I would, I would love to hear your thoughts, but for me, like I, I did a terrible job trying to kill myself when I was like a preteen. I was like 12 or 13, right? Like I took whatever I could find in the medicine cabinet and I probably took vitamins. Like, I don't even know what I took. So my hair was probably glowing for days after, you know, <laughs> but like, I did a terrible job at trying, but the intent was there. And I don't really remember what happened other than going back to my room and feeling that pang of regret that a lot of suicidal people talk about when they have a failed attempt of like, maybe I don't actually want to leave, but it was like, whatever. And then blackout, I don't remember anything. And I woke up on the trampoline with outside with one of the dogs and I made the choice that like, okay, like I'm going to stay. I am choosing to stay and I'm going to see this life through until it kills me on its own. And that has been just life-changing because I still have my dark and twisty moments. You and I talk about that a lot. Like it's still, excuse me, an aspect of who I am and how I engage with life in the world. It's, it's always there. Like it's always this, I mean, if things get really bad, I can just opt out, but I have made this conscious choice that, okay, I'm going to see it through. And there's so much freedom for me that has come from that. So I'd love for you to share anything related. Oh, I, that i just so much. I I relate to that so much. I totally understand that sentiment. Um, And yeah, it's, it's interesting, because even when you talked about it, I heard it too, that there's a sense of freedom and a sense of power, you know, that I'm choosing to stay. Okay, I'm choosing to stay, I'm going to make this work. And, and that was one of the big things for me is, is one, one of the reasons that moment was the turning point was it was, it was that, okay, I'm choosing this. And that made me invested in a new way. And it was the beginning of me breaking that habit of pleasing everybody else and the winning strategy of pleasing everybody else and moving into a place of, man, if I'm the only one here, I'm gonna live for me. Yeah. You know, what the heck do I want? You know, what the heck is important to me? You know, so, so I, I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So one of the things we talk a lot about on the show and in journey mapping is this concept of reorienting and it happens. I mean, you and I have witnessed each other go through so much reorienting over the last several years, but it happens at different points in our lives. But in this particular instance, you got up and instead of leaping off your balcony, you went and made a sandwich. Or I remember you telling me, I think you said you went and washed your face or something. It was something really like, yeah uneventful and uninspired that you went and you just like carried on with your life and your day. And so what was the process like for you to really start to reorient to your life and your work and the world from this place of, okay, like, I guess I have a little more power than I thought I did. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it's funny. I feel like I have so many answers to that question because it was such a long, it was such a long process in the beginning. <sighs> In the beginning, it was really just starting to ask myself more and more of what I wanted. And um, my cat's going to join us in a minute, just so you know. He's, he's, he's like, you're talking to Stephanie. It's time for me to join in. So you, you all may get to meet Jake. But anyway, um, 
in the beginning, it was like, I wanted to ask myself what I wanted. And, and it's interesting because when I started doing that, that kind of is what opened the big can of worms and really started the self-healing journey because, well, as soon as I start asking what I want, well, that just blows out my nervous system because I'm not allowed to have that. <laughs> you know, that's not allowed. And I think that's one of the interesting points of growth. And I, I work with this with my clients all the time because we kind of have this love-hate relationship with our desires and like our biggest dreams for our life, which is why we protect ourselves from them. They feel too big. They feel too scary. They feel too loving. Honestly, I can't receive that. No, talk about unsafe, right? So, so it was really interesting. So I kind of started asking myself more and more of what I wanted. And then that, I mean, that kind of like snowballed into a lot of self-healing and a lot of work. And it was just a few years later that um, it wasn't really a dark night as a, of the soul, I don't think, because it wasn't really, I wasn't as depressed and I never really got suicidal again after that one, after that one decision to stay. Um, but it definitely was a really big moment because I was like, there's so much going on that I have to unpack and heal. And I, I didn't know how to handle it. And I ended up taking like a year off of work. Um, I mean, I really, I got down to like one client a week. Like that was all I could do. <laughs> it was very pitiful. Um, and I slept, I was sleeping all the time. And what I ended up doing was I read like over a hundred books on attachment theory and sexual assault and like all kinds of like stuff that I needed to heal and honestly get back into my body, which I didn't really, like I hadn't yet made the connection about how trauma gets stored in our cells. And it's so interesting to go through something where, I, and I, it's, I'm so grateful for this whole journey because I can see it now in other people. Something will come to them, they'll get an idea or they'll have an experience, something really mild, nothing major happening. But when your nervous system overloads, you watch them, their nervous system just overloads and they, you know, and they blank out or they disassociate or they whatever. And I'm like, I know that feeling, you know, and, and understanding that so much of the work had to happen in my body, had to happen in my cells. So that's, that's what I spent doing that year. And, and that was like the other big, like reorient, reorienting process was like, you know, wait, 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 where's the ground? Wait, where am I in relationship to the ground and where are other people? And like, you know, it, it was so, it was such a big deal. And that was, that was, and we've talked about this. That was when I realized I was gay. I mean, I literally didn't know up until that point. And it's so funny because, you know, people ask me, people ask me all the time, particularly people who've been gay their whole lives or since they were very young anyway, they'll ask me, they're like, how did you not know? Like, <laughs> like really? And there were signs. I mean, granted, there were signs. Like, I love yeah. Charlie's Angels way too much. Like, <laughs> there were signs. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I really love the Indigo Girls in high school. Like, there were signs that I was gay. But I didn't know that I was gay because I didn't know that I liked broccoli. I didn't know that I yeah. liked the color blue or you know, like I had no concept of who I was. And that's one of the main fallouts of childhood trauma or even being in an oppressed group that you learn that you are wrong. You're wrong. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're saying, you are wrong. Particularly your happiness is wrong. Your satisfaction is wrong. Your joy is wrong. But you are wrong. And so you just, you just learn to just deny every single impulse and pack yourself into this ni nice little presentable package that, you know, makes everybody else okay and makes everything shiny and like, you know, puts everyone at ease. God forbid we have a gay person in the room because everybody freaks out. I was raised in the deep South. Um, so like going through that process and going through that process of healing and reading all these books on like childhood sexual assault and narcissistic abuse and all of this stuff, I was able to put myself back together and and see how much of my life had been sacrificed to the altar of self-abandonment and self-betrayal and, and really come back to like, who the heck am I? And what do I want out of this life? And what do I want to create for myself? Yeah. And that, I mean, that's influenced everything. That's, 
Yeah. That's like my work. That's everything. That's, that's changed my whole life. Yeah. And I want to talk about the discovering that you were gay thing. Cause it was so fun. I feel like I met you. We started hanging out very soon after that. And it was so fun and so beautiful to like witness you like really like step in and embrace that. But before we talk about that, um, when you were talking, something just came to mind. Like for me, when I first was introduced to personal growth as a concept, as a thing, it was very accidental and organic. Like I was very into the blogging world before marketing took over and I would come across things that were personal growth focused. And then I started working at a place where the woman I worked with had this huge bookshelf full of personal growth books. And it was very much one of those moments where one just like leapt off the shelf at me and I took it home. And, but what was it like for you? Like, had you already had a relationship to personal growth? Like, how did you discover that there were things you could read about that would help you understand yourself? That's a really good question. It had started earlier. I remember I took an inner kid workshop. Um, I met a guy in a business networking thing and we were on a retreat together, you know, um, and, and and we just kind of hit it off. We were partnered together and I really liked what he had to say. And I, he probably said a thing or two that like blew my mind at that point, you know, I was like, whoa, like that's what's happening. That's what's at work. And then he said he, and he was in, he lived in Colorado too. We met in California, but he was from Denver and, or North, North Denver. And he ran these inner kid retreats, these like weekend retreats. And, and I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> sure, why not? I'll try it. You know, I'll do anything. I don't care. And I went and it, it was, I mean, it just changed my whole life because I was like, wait a minute, I have a separate part of me that is running the show. What? And like, like uh, I have like a child who's a kid who never healed, who's like making all these decisions for me. Well, that would explain why I act like a complete idiot sometimes. <laughs> that's good for self-awareness. So, so that was kind of the beginning for me. And, and it was after that, that I, I, I know I started reaching out more and more to, um, to reading books and like reading books on healing and reading books. And it probably, honestly, it probably coincided because I think I discovered Diane Poole Heller's work and Stan Tatkin's work right about the time that I was like, okay, everything has to stop while I read this, while I do this, <laughs> and these everything else. Has to stop. This is everything. So yeah, I think that's yeah. how it started. Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, I just, so interesting to me how people fall into the work because it's different paths for all of us. Um, and most of us, it wasn't a part of our like family system growing up and definitely not education. So of course, um, what yeah. was the book that fell off the shelf at you? I'm just curious. Jack Canfield success principles. And uh -huh. the first chapter is all about taking hundred percent personal responsibility. And it just like, it, like I had always been pretty good at that. Like if I was late for something, I wouldn't blame traffic. It'd have been like, shoot, I should have left earlier or checked the traffic report. Um, but it made me stop and go, Oh, <laughs> like, what if I ask anytime something happens, what did I do to allow this to happen? And of course, then you get into conversations about how do you choose to respond to things that are outside your control? Cause it's not like we're inviting every bad experience in, but at the time it was like mind blowing for me. And I like, I don't even think I finished the book, but I read a lot of it. And I was like, there's this whole genre of like people writing about things that help you. Like, <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> there's where was this? There's programs, there's coaches. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, but I want to talk about you realizing that you were gay and, and what that was like for you. And if there was like one moment that it really clicked in, or was it like a series of like, maybe like, what was it like for you? That's so, that's such a fun question. And you were, you were right there, like right at the beginning. That's when we were hanging out every day and going to Rayback and yeah. crying on the couches there. <laughs> um, it was such a, it was such a weird, it was such a weird discovery because I remember I had done enough work and I had explored enough that I was finally starting to get comfortable in my own skin. And I was, first of all, we had to realize we were uncomfortable in our own skin. So we did That's what that feeling is. That was, it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. And and it was that was one of the things that was so empowering to me about the polyvagal work 
was learning that there was a physiological reason for what I was going through. Like that was actually really empowering because it was like, oh, like there's a reason that my brain just turns off. And there's a reason that like, you know, you go into that freeze moment and like understanding that because it because you feel powerless. And if you don't know what's going on, I felt stupid. I felt ridiculous. I mean, it was such a great way for me to continue the self-abuse was like, well, that's that was a dumb thing to do or say or whatever. (laughs) And learning, like there was so much self-compassion and learning like, hey, your your body's trying to protect you here and your nervous system is trying to protect you here. And oh man, that just opened the floodgates to self-love and self-honoring and like, maybe I'm not the enemy here. Yeah. <laughs> that was such a revelation. <laughs> and learning that and sinking into that, you know, you start asking, right? The question that started it all was, well, okay, if you're, if you're the only one here and you're the only one responsible for your state, what do you want? That question took on a whole new meaning. What do you really want? And that, and you know, it was, I think I was watching the first, the first hit to me, I was watching a music video and I noticed there were two men and two women in the music video. And I just noticed I was watching one of the women, like just and it, and it occurred to me later, I was like, why was I fascinated with her? And like, what's happening? You know, <laughs> it, it was the weirdest feeling yeah. of like getting to know myself again. And it was so funny because I was talking to another friend who came out later in life too. And she was saying, you know, you're going to have to give yourself some time to be a teenager. Yeah. Like, cause you're right. Cause you're now you're going through what everybody went, everybody else went through when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. And, and it, and it was, it was interesting. It, I could feel that, you know, cause it, I'd get around a pretty girl and be like, <laughs> you, know, and, <laughs> you know, just like, just like you would, you know, junior high school. Right. Girl, but of course I never did because I was like, whatever, you know, <laughs> who cares? I just remember all the kids when I was growing up, like going ape shit over Duran Duran. And I was always like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. Again, signs, we should have known. But, but anyway, I, did that answer your question? I forget what your question was. Yeah. Like what was, when did it really lock in and what was that like for you? It was so, it was so scary. Um, I, uh, it was so scary. Oh, so much love for myself then. Oh, it was so hard. I, I had started to get more and more of these hits and more and more of these feelings and just something about it. I mean, it just made sense, right? My, my whole brain was like, duh, this is what we've been trying to tell you for like a few decades now. (laughs) And, and I had a friend who was also gay and we were just friends and I developed feelings for her. And that was like the first, that was when I was like, oh, something's happening. Oh, it's weird. And, and it was such a funny thing because I, I fell for her and then it didn't work out, which thank God, but it didn't. And I remember, I remember feeling after all of that happened, I remember feeling like, what if I'm not gay? What if I'm wrong about all <laughs> Or what if I am gay and I'm going to be alone forever? Who wants mm. to be with a lesbian who came out at 42? Like, mm. that's ridiculous. Oh, it was a whole thing, right? And I remember being up late one night and I actually Googled the phrase, how to be a lesbian, because I wanted to see if there was like a checklist that I could check off of. Okay, I am, I can relax. And I ended up finding this group, um, uh, several other women who, a lot of other women who actually came out later in life. And that changed everything for me. It gave me the context I needed. It gave me the validation that I needed. And it was so many other women who were my age and older walking around in the world acting like teenagers. And I was like, okay, you know, there's a reason I'm going through what I'm going through. And then, and then, you know, of course, it also gave us a context for exploring like the societal reasons that this happens to so many women. And like, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole patriarchy thing we can go into there and we don't have to, but yeah. So that's remember um it's one of the first times I was at your house because we had a mutual friend that introduced us and she was always going over and so she brought me along because I was a, a wreck I was destroyed like I was just out of my abusive relationship and I had 
only just begun to like swallow again. <laughs> so right. I was like destroyed. And I remember going to your house and you were in a similar state. Like you wouldn't leave the house. Like you were always on the couch in your PJs. And I remember one of the first times being there, you sitting at your little kitchen table and she was talking about something and I don't remember how it came up, but you were like, oh, I'm just dealing with like, turns out I'm gay. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, but I could tell, I remember like you were so ripped apart by just everything that you were going through around that. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, it was such a big deal. It was like, it, you know, and it, it, it's such a weird thing. I have had so many people ask me like, how did you not know? And I totally understand that question because it seems so bizarre. But that speaks to the self-betrayal and self-abandonment that we can put ourselves through. And I think there are plenty of women who are going through the world going through that who aren't gay and, and, and you know, don't have that big revelation to point to them that something's massively wrong, but they're going through the world succeeding, using my air quotes, by making other people happy and by making everything else okay and by making things work and by, yeah. you know, peacekeeping or whatever. And, and yeah, it's just, it, it's such a funny thing in a way. I'm, I'm really grateful to it because it, it really let me know how much I was hurting myself. And, you know, up until that point and, and, and honoring that now is like, it feels so self-loving. It's like, I'm so proud of being gay and I'm so happy I'm gay and I love that about me. And it's like, it's something I relish now, you know, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And do you want to share any, you don't have to a bit about like, you did so many fun things as you were exploring, like your hair, your style, your, you had that photo shoot, which I still love. I love those photos. Like you, you did a lot of different things to really explore what it meant for you to be gay and who were you and and I remember I would love if you could talk about the haircut because I remember how you felt after that and it was so it was so amazing to like be there for that oh thanks so much that's so fun yeah that was a really interesting part of the transformation for me so particularly around being gay and I was raised in the deep south and um I mean Florida but like the backwoods of Florida and um, it was a really oppressive environment. And one of the interesting things about being gay is that you can hide it. You know, we, it, it's, it's not like being a person of color where, it, you know, you, you never get a break from it. If you want to hide and just like escape, you can. And I think that that has some payoffs, obviously. And I think it also has some major costs because you're never forced to come to terms with that part of you and the way that you act around other people and the way that um, other people act around you. And so one of the things that happens is, you know, I'm, I, I look feminine and I had long hair and the whole thing. And that's how I kind of could get along in the world. But it also meant that I could hear every homophobic thing that everybody said. Yeah. And like, I mean, my sexuality didn't have a chance in that environment. No. You know, like, there's no way <laughs> I could have been like, I think girls are cute. Like there's just no, yeah. you had no room to breathe in that environment. So part of what I realized when I went through this whole transformation was that fitting in, in the way that I looked was a part of my success strategy. It was part of the way that I, you know, survived. So there was a backlash to that. And it was so interesting because I, I, I wanted people to know I was gay. And like, I couldn't think of anything short of tattooing a rainbow on my forehead <laughs> other than like, okay, let's go butch. And I threw out almost all my pink clothing and I cut my hair. And the first thing I did, I'm, you were there, I got an undercut and that was just not obvious enough. And so I cut it all off. I cut it all yeah. off. And those are the pics that are on my site right now. And and, and it was funny. It was really, it was, it was really a journey because I think I had to go to that, you know, you know, that experience, you have to cross the line to figure out where it is yeah. for you. You just swing to the other end of the pendulum and then. Totally. And I think that's what I was doing. So it felt so good to be seen and recognized as gay. Cause I looked gay and I loved that. Um, 
And then eventually, you know, like a couple years later, I was like, man, I kind of grew it out into like a softer shortcut. And, and then I, you know, a couple of years ago, blew out my um, Achilles tendon and was basically bedridden. And then I was like, okay. And then, so it, start, it started to grow out. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to cut it all off again. I'm going to like explore something new. And then COVID hit. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> we're just going to grow it out. So, and it's, it's getting kind of long now. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I do want to be seen as gay. I would love it if I was recognized as gay all the time. Um, but I'm not finding that I need to, you know, cut my hair again as much or like dress super butch. It's probably not me. And that's another piece. I'll say a little more on this because it was really powerful. Like, it's such an interesting thing to explore how you want to present yourself to the world for you. That was another piece that was so transformational because, you know, I had only dressed to make other people happy. I had only ever dressed to be cute and kind of an assume, and I, you know, I'm kind of cute and I'm a little chubby and I'm like, you know, I'm just so, I'm just so pleasing and, and realizing that like, but wait, how do I want to dress for me? Like that was even the awareness that I could do that was such a revelation. How do I want to dress for me? And how do I want to present myself? And how do I dress if it's about pleasing and adorning myself instead of, you know, dressing to make other people happy or comfortable? So yeah. that was a journey too. It's still a journey. Honestly, my relationship with clothes is still, we're, we're still new- friends. It's such an important thing though. Like I know I did a lot of things where I swung to the other end of the pendulum and I just, I needed to, like, I needed to figure out, okay, I've been behaving this way because of controlling abusive people, because I didn't know any better because I attuned because of all the hypervigilance and all the things. And like part of reclaiming for me, my freedom was like, I'm going way over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and I think that that's very normal and natural. And what's so frustrating to me is people like to be, it's just a phase. It's like, well, maybe, but it also might not, like I might need to be over here. That might need, that, that might be who I am. And so like, I just think it's such an important thing to share about. And there's so many ways that we do it after trauma or loss or like these big transitions of like, oh, wait a minute, I think I'm gay. Like I'm gay. Oh my God. How do I want to show up in the world? Who am I now in the world? And, and seeing the way that it like, all the self-compromise, the way that it like creeps into even the smallest of things, like the clothes that you choose to wear or how you style your hair. Like it's, yeah, it's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. It's such a, it's such, yeah, it's such a big deal. And it's remarkable because when that's your habit and that's your way to survive, and it is for so many of us, it is, it's insidious. I mean, it, it, the, all the different ways that it creeps in and all the different ways that it, it infects your life. It's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about like your personal transformation and journey. What was your work doing throughout all of this? How is your work like reflecting what you were going through? (laughs) Wow. That's such a good question. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or a freelancer, it, it, you know, your, your business is you like there's just there. Cause there's, you don't get to take sick days. <laughs> if there's something that needs to get done. It has to get done. And it, that's one of the reasons I love business. And the, one of the reasons I'm a business coach and I love working with entrepreneurs is because it's absolutely ruthless. You know, it's absolutely like, like there's nowhere to hide. You don't get to pass the buck. Um, if there's something in your business that isn't working or isn't making you happy, you have to go inside. It, it's calling you to be bigger and expand. Um, but that's also why it's pain. <laughs> Very <laughs> annoying. <laughs> um, so of course my business went up and down as I was going through all of this. Um, one of the things that had happened is I realized I didn't want to build websites anymore. I loved the marketing piece and I loved working with clients and helping them contribute to the world and give their gifts and make more money and, and expand who they were. I loved that work. Um, but just the website design model was too limiting. So, um, after I had the suicidal episode a couple years later, but before I went into the, 
I'm gay, dark night of the soul. Um, I started coaching and I was like, okay, I'm going to get rid of the website design business. I'm going to sell it and not be a part of it anymore. And I'm just going to coach and consult. And, and I, I think honestly that a lot of that is what prompted um, the next level of exploration because I really, really loved it but I was struggling to do it in a way that was fun for me. I was struggling to do it in a way that um, was actually supportive to me because there was still a huge part of me that was trying to people please. And, you know, I had to go through that whole self-awareness piece and learning who I was and learning I was gay and learning like, you know, I like broccoli and I want to eat eggs every day. And like, (laughs) I want to nap sometime in the afternoon and like really coming home to myself. And man, it was not until I did that, that I learned how to say no in, in, in a big way. Like, cause you can't say no, if you don't know who you are, that's the whole point is that you're the yes person. You know, you're the yes who solves everyone's problems. You don't say no, you don't have needs. Oh, it's a whole, whew. Oh, I feel it get on me. Just that, that whole identity, man. It's just, whoo, it's right here. And, and I was, so I, I learned to make friends with anger like anger is such a great emotion. I have such a hard time with the spiritual bypassing yeah. like habit that is like, oh, I don't get angry. And I'm like, so you feel hopeless all the time? Great. <laughs> I hope that's working Good for you. for you. Right? Because anger is what lifts us out of hopelessness. Like if you're angry or you want to be angry, I guarantee you've got a good reason for it. Doesn't mean you need to run around like, you know, in your road rage and like, flicking people off and stuff doesn't mean you need to get it all out into the world. Although sometimes you have to do that too. No judgment. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, like anger is such a valid thing. And so I was learning how to say no to clients and I was learning how to have boundaries with clients and boundaries with my schedule. Oh my God. It's such a big thing. Being like your schedules, bitch is like one of the biggest forms of toxicity in our businesses. Oh, I overwork. I work all the time. I work on weekends, that kind of crap that went by the wayside. And, and slowly, 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 I made my, as I put more pieces of myself back together, I put more pieces of my business back together. And then again, you know, I, I know COVID has been so hard for so many people, but in a way it was such a blessing to me. I really wanted to move my business completely online. I wanted to move into a teaching model. I wanted to serve more people instead of just working with clients one-on-one and COVID really forced me to do that. And, um, and I'm really excited about what I'm doing now. I'm really excited about what's next. I think 2021 is going to be a good year. Yeah. Tell us about what it is you're doing. Tell us about your program. Oh, cool. Thanks. Um, so my program is get clear, which you and I have talked about ad nauseum, but I will tell you again, anyway, for the podcast. Um, so it's get clear and it's, it's really, it's so funny because it, it's based on everything we've talked about in this whole episode, because it's what you said about me at the very beginning of this podcast is so true. I love truth. You know, I love truth. I love brutal honesty. And it's because I had to fight so hard for my own clarity of thinking that I really appreciated in other people. And I am very good at seeing it. I can smell, um, uh, incongruence a mile away, which makes me perfect for branding work. You know, like so much of brand work is, is energy work. I know, you know, right. Like, because it's, it's all about seeing incongruence about how people are showing up in ways that are not them. And here's the thing, here's why this is so important in business. When you show up in a way that is not authentic to who you are, it is impossible to be a beacon to your right people. You're invisible, right? Like the more you can be yourself, I know authenticity is a buzzword that has lost a lot of its meaning, but truly the more you can be your authentic self and shine that out into the world and say, oh my God, I am amazing at this. And I love doing this. And this is my passion. And this is the change that I want to see in the world. And I'm creating that every day. Don't you want to come along? Like if you need this, like, doesn't this sound great to you? Don't you want to give me money so that you can have this? Like, That's what marketing and sales can become when we're being more of who we are. And it's really hard to get in touch with that place if you're obeying other people's rules and doing what other people tell you you should do in your business and all that crap. So 
my, my course, it's a six week course and it's designed specifically to get you in touch with what is most important to you and what you love about your work and give you the language to talk about it so that it's magnetic to your right people and really guide you through a self-awareness process, a process that's designed to get you to know who you really are and what your gifts are and who needs it. And so that, so that you can start to make changes in your business so that you can just yeah. stop doing what everybody else tells you to do. You know, one of my, one of my tenants of my work is that you are your own best business coach. You know, at the end of the day, it was, it was a sobering moment for me to realize that people really weren't paying me for information. <laughs> I, I thought that like people paid me and I was like, let me tell you about all the marketing. <laughs> I have all the funnels and sales scripts. Oh my God, I'll give you everything. And I would fire hose people with information. <laughs> and, and it was a little bit of a problem when I would talk to people and, and they would be like, but I, I kind of really want to do this. And I'm like, well, that sounds good, but that breaks all the rules. So I just, I don't know. I don't know about that. And then they would do it and then they would thrive. And, and this was when I was still building websites, obviously. And, and that was kind of what got me on this path of like, huh, maybe you actually know what you need to do for your, maybe the thing that gave you the idea for the business is actually going to give you the plan to grow it. You know, maybe you don't need all my script. I'm here, you know, if you need them. Right. But like, what if my job is to just, like you said, listen for truth and listen for incongruence and listen to where you're lying to yourself and listen to where you're not being honest about who you are and listen to where you're not believing in yourself and where you're, you're saying, oh my God, I, I really want this big, awesome thing, but oh, I can't, I, I can't take weekends off. I can't only work two hours a day. I can't like start my own podcast. I can't apply for that position or do this thing or work with that client. Like, like let's unearth some of those beliefs because I guarantee you that what's under that is your path to your best life. So yeah. that's my work. Yeah. <sighs> Something that I love about your work and what you've created, and actually I haven't had anyone talk about this on the show yet, but is because I'm not happy that you had trauma, but you had a lot of trauma in your childhood and that impacted you obviously in all the ways we've talked about. But one of the things that it has done is allowed your work to be trauma-informed. And there is not enough trauma-informed work out there, let alone trauma-informed coaches. But people don't realize that where they get stuck in their brand and their business, and even like you're saying, like, claiming this is what I really want in my work. And these are my boundaries around how I want to work. Like people don't understand that so much of their blocks and self-sabotage come from trauma. And so that is one reason I absolutely adore and love you, but also your work is that it's trauma informed. So I'd love if you could share kind of your take on that. Oh, I love that. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think there's enough. I don't think there's enough out there that's trauma informed and trauma sensitive. And, you know, it's interesting because I don't specifically talk about trauma in my work, but I am very careful about boundaries and I'm very careful about giving people clear expectations. And I'm very careful about trying to create as safe a space as I can and being very, very accepting um, you know, I, I really believe like the path for me, I needed to be loved into my greatness, you know, being browbeaten or held accountable. I have so much stuff about that word accountable. I mean, my work is one of the premises of my work is that we all want to give. We all want to contribute to humanity. We all want to show up. We all want to be creative in some way. Maybe that's making some massive art, but maybe it's just having really wonderful inflow conversations like this one where you can just go wherever it leads you, you know, but everybody wants to show up and shine. I believe that. It's certainly true for me. I wasn't hiding because it was fun for me. I wasn't hiding because I enjoyed doing it. I thought I had to do it to survive and it hurt. Yeah. And like, so working with that idea of like, look, you just need a little confidence and you need a little 
understanding and you need a little patience and acceptance and you need just a little bit of a mirror to reflect back to you the truth of who you are. That's the other thing. I'm not a massive salesman. I'm not blowing smoke up my clients' asses. My clients are beautiful, amazing, wonderful people. And it's like, all you have to do is like point that out to them or even what I've discovered, give them exercises and give them things they can do on their own where they can kind of see that. And it's like, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the most effective thing you can do with work. And it's, it's very trauma supportive because it celebrates people exactly where they are. There's no changing. There's no gut up and go. There's no do epic shit. There's no, like all of that stuff that feels like very adolescent male energy to me. It's, it's not, it's not that it's, it's, you know, very, it's, it's a more feminine approach. It's more, let's work on your receiving and let's work on who you are and let's work on your intuition and let's, let's support you. Let's find all the ways that we can to support you and not wallow. My, I'm a business coach after all, I'm not therapist. So I'm all about results and I'm all about making the money and I'm all about solutions oriented, but it's always through that lens of acceptance for where you're at right now yeah. and that you will go when you're ready to go. You will. We all will. We will go when we're ready to go. We will shine when we're ready to shine. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. What is one thing that you wish you could tell younger you, whether it's you as a child or you when you were in your 20s and totally disconnected from the truth of who you were? What's one thing you wish you knew? I wish I knew I could trust life. That would have changed everything for me. For me, life itself was the enemy. It felt like I... It felt like every time I showed up as me, every time I was in my joy, every time I was doing something that felt good, it felt like life itself um, just beat me down. You know, um, you and I talked about the drop kick. It always felt like that to me. It felt like out of nowhere, um, life would just bam. You know, and you know, and that's trauma response. You know, that's learning that and understanding that and getting to a place where. I can trust myself was a really big deal because it led to this greater understanding that, you know, you can trust life. It's working out in your favor. You are held, you are supported. And I still struggle with that. I think I probably always will, um, which is okay. Um, But yeah, like that piece, you can trust life. It's, It's really not working against you. You are safe here. The crisis is over. Um, yeah, you can relax. Yeah. Your love. Oh, I love that. Oh my goodness. Well, we're going to put all of your brilliance and info in the show notes, but tell everyone where they can find you, how they can learn from you and how they can work with you. Oh, awesome. Great. Uh, so my website is my name, dianewidden.com. And uh, yeah, the best place to start is my Get Clear course. Um, it's super reasonable. It's six weeks. It's a wonderful investment. And you'll have me, um, I help people out in the comments. I answer questions. Um, as you go through the course and create things and work on things and you're like, ah, do I do this right? Or what do you think of this language or whatever? Um, you can get my feedback and um, I just love it. I love the work so much. It's, it's so transformational for people and um, I love doing it. So yeah, you're so good at it. Oh, I love you so much. Favorite human. Thank you for being here and for sharing your story and all your wisdom. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv slash free, including access to an eight-week sampler of our renowned journey mapping program. That gives you instant access to impactful training lessons, life-changing exercises, and our signature AccuSesh processes that you can implement immediately. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community, so please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.